0: Good morning and welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We're on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19-meter band to far west Africa. I'm Lulu Gabu, in studio with Anne Moussa, Tabisa Luhoko, and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at this hour... Oscar Pistorius to be sentenced today. South African Deputy President concludes his visit to Lesotho and South Sudanese women unveil agenda for peace and development. In economics, Nigeria's all-share index rose 1.45% and in sports news, a first ODI between New Zealand and South Africa gets underway. But first up, the news with Anne Moussa.
1: Mozambique's National Elections Commission says vote counting in the country's northwestern province has stopped due to possible fraud, with more than 60% of the votes counted so far. Yesterday, a report released by a local watchdog organization revealed the commission had received more results sheets than were polling stations in the province. The increased number of result sheets could mean that some votes were counted twice. The commission says it's investigating the possible duplication. Opposition party leaders rejected. Projected provisional results on Sunday, which showed the ruling for Limo leading with 62% of the vote. Aid workers in the Democratic Republic of Congo say they are extremely concerned about civilians struck in violence near Beni town. Uganda-based rebels called the Allied Defense Forces are believed to be behind the recent attacks against villagers in the North Kivu province. The UN mission in the country, Monosco, has increased the presence of its troops and police in the area to protect civilians. UN spokesperson Stefan Dujaric.
2: The humanitarian community in the Democratic Republic of Congo is extremely concerned about the lives of thousands of people who are trapped in a spiral of violence in Beni in North Kivu province. Several villages have been recently attacked by rebels believed to be from the Allied Democratic Forces, or ADF. The Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs estimates that thousands of people have been displaced from these attacks and fled to safer areas.
1: Convicted South African athlete Oscar Pistorius will today find out whether or not he is going to prison. Judge Drogosile Masipa will hand down a sentence on day 48 of this trial in the High Court in South Africa's capital, Pretoria. Pistorius was found guilty of culpable homicide on the 12th of September for the negligent death of his girlfriend, River Steenkamp. Jacques Steenkamp reports.
3: Last week, Friday, defense advocate Barry Rue gave his closing arguments and suggested that Pistorius has lost everything since the death. Two out of his four witnesses who testified in mitigation of sentence suggested that the athlete should receive three years' correctional supervision in the form of house arrest. But Rue argued that over the past 18 months, Pistorius has really suffered enough and therefore served out his sentence. State prosecutor Gary argued that society demands justice and a suitable punishment for the innocent life that was taken. He therefore asked the court to sentence Pastorius to 10 years behind bars as he feels the Blade Runner should spend at least some time in prison.
1: Meanwhile, there's a hive of activity outside the High Court in Pretoria ahead of Pastoria's sentencing today. Hundreds of journalists are expected to fall to courtrooms in anticipation of Judge Masipa's decision on whether the Blade Runner will be sent to prison. Noma Bulani reports. Today's
4: proceedings have attracted significant media interest, most probably the highest activity we've seen since the first week of the trial back in March. International coverage of the Marathon trial waned in its second month, only peaking again when pristorists took the stand and for judgment. Meanwhile, SA Prisoners' Organizations for Human Rights have staged a demonstration outside the court, calling for Prosouris to be sent to jail. Holding a poster reading are some offenders more equal than others, Golden Miles Buddha says prosoris' status should not play a factor in sentencing.
1: The World Health Organization says it will be upfront about its handling of the Ebola outbreak following an internal report that details failures in containing the virus. In the draft document obtained by the Associated Press, the health agency says nearly everyone involved in the Ebola response fails to notice factors that turn the outbreak into the biggest on record. It blames incompetent staff bureaucracy and a lack of reliable information. The World Health Organization says. It will be fully transparent and accountable. More than 4,000 people have died of Ebola in West Africa this year. And that's the news. Headlines at 8.30 Central African Time.
5: Africa, rise and shine. Africa, soul. Africa, amuka na unai.
0: Thank you, Anne. It is exactly 8.06 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg on this Tuesday, October the 21st, the 294th day of 2014, with exactly 71 days left in the year. A top story, Oscar Pistorius will know his fate this morning when Judge Togosile Masipa hands down sentence at the North Gauteng High Court in Pretoria. Pastorius has been found guilty of culpable homicide of his girlfriend Riva Stienkamp. He shot and killed her on Valentine's Day last year at his Silverwoods home east of Pretoria. The court has also found the Blade Runner guilty of discharging a firearm in a public place whilst with friends at a Johannesburg restaurant. Khulufelo Madiba reports.
2: As Pistorius awaits sentence after the court convicted him of culpable homicide, unconfirmed reports suggested that the Paralympian might be kept at Khosimampuritu Correctional Facility in Pretoria. This is if he's sent to jail for the crime. The report further suggested that a cell had already been prepared for Pistorius at the prison in the same section that housed Czech fugitive Redovan Cratch. Correctional Services spokesperson Tunzi Maga dismissed the claims.
6: Those reports are both malicious and irresponsible. We would never prepare a correctional services center for a person who has not even been sentenced to a direct term of imprisonment. I don't know who is trying to influence the trial here or the sentencing proceedings.
7: It's quite disturbing on our side as the Department of Correctional Service.
2: The state has called for a 10-year jail term while his defense wants the Paralympian to be sentenced to a correctional supervision, his lawyer Beriru believes his client did not deliberately fire shots through a locked toilet door to kill his girlfriend, whom he mistook for an intruder. He argued during pre-sentence in mitigation at the North Houghton High Court last week that corrective justice could be an option.
6: Just sit back and ask yourself, is there another suitable way that would be in the interest of all parties? Is there really a way for restorative justice?
2: defence attempt to suggest that South Africa's prisons are not equipped enough to cater for people with disabilities were quashed. Roos says his client has endured unwarranted pressure from the media and that he did not only lose his dignity, but he's financially broke as well.
6: He was denigrated to the extent that all that was left was a rage killer, a cold-blooded killer, a liar, and everything that's horrible. He lost all his sponsors. He lost all his money. He has nothing, my lady. He hasn't even got money to pay for legal expenses.
2: State prosecutor Kherinel is, however, not impressed. He strongly believes that the accused deserves a harsher sentence. He says Pistorius can fit well in any prison cell since his desire is to stay away from prison in order to compete with able athletes despite his disabilities.
7: The accused in spite of his physical
2: handicap, coped brilliantly in life. But disturbing that a man that wanted to compete with able-bodied athletes never acted as a disabled person would now shamelessly use, this as an excuse and mitigating factor. Some members of the pump league had mixed reaction about the latest developments in the Atlas case. So you say he must go to jail? Yeah, definitely. Of taking an innocent person's life. There's something behind the scenes nobody knows about. That's my opinion.
8: He's a very nice young man. What happened was unfortunate. But it doesn't mean to say everybody needs to turn their backs. They forget about the good he's done and he never talked about it.
2: Legal experts believe Pistorius is likely to appeal should Judge Tokozile Masipa decide to send him to jail.
0: That report by Kulufelo Madiba. Now, South Africa's Correctional Services Department has denied reports that it had already prepared a cell for Paralympian Oscar Pistorius at the Kosimampuru II prison. The High Court in Pretoria heard on Friday during closing arguments that Pastorius should get either 10 years in jail or house arrest and community service. Now our question to you today is what sentence do you think Oscar Pastorius should receive? You can email us your views and your thoughts at info@channelafrica.org, send us an SMS to +2782 Double three two five nine zero five or get a hold of us on Twitter at Rise Shine Africa or Channel Africa One. What sentence do you think Oscar Pistorius should receive? Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. South African Deputy President So Ramaphosa concluded his SADC facilitation visit to Lesotho yesterday. Ramaphosa has so far led the SADC facilitation mission to Lesotho five times to smooth dialogue between Lesotho's political role players. In an attempt to bring stability to the country, Ramaphosa facilitated the signing of the Maseru facilitation declaration among Lesotho's main political players. The declaration provided for the reconvening of Lesotho's parliament by King Letia III on Friday. The parliamentary sitting discussed the country's budget and the holdings of elections. National elections are expected to be held at the end of February next year on a
4: date to be set by the king. Ntakana Ngwa reports. On his fifth visit to Lesotho, Deputy President Ramaphosa paid a courtesy call on His Majesty the King and met political stakeholders. As the February deadline for elections draws closer, he also met the IEC. Director of Elections Mpasa Mukhochani says plans are now in motion.
7: I think now one can say we are getting ready because last week we had advertised
6: position for temporary staff and that process has been completed. So this week we have started with the selection, and next week we'll be conducting the trainings. And our plan is that we start intensified registration on the 3rd of November. We're hoping that uh, Parliament, we are waking that Parliament should be dissolved
4: on the 1st of December. Ramaphosa also met foreign donor partners, including the European Union, in a bid to get pledges to fund the election. In 2012, the United Nations and the EU played a crucial role in pre- and post-election mediation. EU Ambassador Michael Doyle says they are looking to provide support again. Parliament was also sitting for the first time. That first sitting was almost derailed. Opinion was divided over SARAC security personnel deployed at the legislature. They are protecting some of the leaders and now also parliament. Simano Sikatli is a member of the Opposition Democratic Congress, D.C.
7: Our biggest contention is that this is a sovereign country with its own independent parliament. We cannot allow an apartheid style of security around our premises in this country. The experience is terrible because everybody is frightened of dogs and police who are not cooperative, and we don't know why they are here in the first place.
4: But other MPs are adamant that having SADAC security is the only way they will feel safe. Majoro Mohapi is a member of the Obasutu Convention, ABC.
9: My concern regarding security is that we need security and we are happy that SADAC has supplied our nation with extra security to support our police service while the defense has a problem. Because among the army, within the army, they, they, with the advice of the prime minister, the king, removed the then commander of the defense force but the same person refused to step down so we can't say there is security when somebody defies his superior's orders so with the help of sadak to provide us with security to beef up our police force it gives us peace of mind
4: the speaker ruled that the security will continue and formal parliamentary proceedings got underway after an hour. Ramaphosa will return on Wednesday and Thursday. I'm Takwa in Maseru, Lesotho.
0: It's 8.16 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Women in South Sudan have unveiled an agenda for peace and sustainable development, which includes the voices and aspirations of women from the country's 10 states. The release of Agenda of an agenda which was unveiled at Juba University in the country's capital coincides with the break in peace talks between the South Sudan government and the opposition rebel forces. Political infighting between President Salva Kiir and his former deputy Riek Machar escalated into a full-fledged, conflict in December last year. Regina Gole spoke to Dr. Priscilla Joseph, chairperson of the South Sudanese Women's Peace Network, to find out more.
10: We have formed a South Sudanese Women's Peace Network and we had developed an agenda for peace and sustainable development. This is what we want to now discuss in a public lecture at the University of Juba.
11: Why do you think this public lecture is very important to the public or to the persons who will be listening to
10: Well, you know, we came out of war, we celebrated the independence, and all of a sudden we are now running away and everybody, some people are stuck in uh, refugee camps, others cannot go around with their normal business. So as women, we think that we should discuss peace. We want to discuss with others. We want to mobilize people. Actually, the lecture is about mobilizing the South Sudanese for peace.
11: So when you mobilize this South Sudanese for peace, what will they be doing? Are you mobilizing them to continue preaching about peace, or what is it?
10: They will be converted as peacemakers themselves. They will refrain others from joining into violent activities, and therefore will create a conducive atmosphere where we can forgive each other and move forward.
11: Why should the women think this is the time that there is a need to talk about peace when we say peacemaking in South Sudan. Well, we had been
10: there during the CPA. It was women who were behind the doors to make it possible to get the peace. Right now, we found ourselves that it us and our children who are really affected by this war. We are displaced. Men are dying and the children are dying. And therefore, the women think that it's their responsibility as citizens of this country to ensure that there is peace among the citizens.
11: So when we say peacemaking in South Sudan and this public presentation is talking about women agenda for peace and sustainable development in South Sudan. How is this going to be maintained for the women to sustain this development?
10: well the women activities are around the current peace talks and we want to accompany that peace talks so that the issues of women are included in the final agreement the women are saying also we will follow the peace agreement through so that we ensure that whatever was agreed on is implemented Fully, We also want to continue with the reconciliation issues because we believe that the peace process is not only in Addis, it's all over the South Sudan states. And we have members in the 10 states of South Sudan.
11: Now is this public lecture coming up? to talk about peace in Addis Ababa or to talk about peace among ourselves?
10: It's coming about to talk about our vision of peace. What is it that we want to see? What is it that we want to be done? So that's what's all about. It's about the women thinking. It's about what the women think is important. The discussion that should go on so that we can live peacefully.
11: What message would you like to tell the public as we talk about peacemaking in South Sudan and this public lecture is addressing
10: all this. I want every individual of us to engage in peace discussion also to refrain from violent activities because uh, we think that we have a framework that can allow us to do things legally including those who really want power. There are the election laws, there are the party laws where you can form your own party so you don't need to shoot down people so that you can gain power in the government because the legal framework is there and the constitution is very clear and we have all agreed that we want to be a democratic society.
0: That was Dr. Priscilla Josephs, chairperson of the South Sudanese Women's Peace Network, talking to Regina Gole.
5: Africa, rise and shine. Africa, zola. Africa, amuka na unare.
0: United Nations associations from four East African countries are appealing to the international community to act on issues of peace and security. The associations have raised the red flag saying that statements made by the UN are not synonymous with the implementation of resolutions adopted by the world body. This emerged during a meeting that brought together officials in Kigali from Rwanda, Kenya, Uganda and Tanzania. Silvanus Karamera reports from kigali
6: time is running out at the 15-year deadline that had been set by the united nations in the year 2000 for the millennium development goals approaches it has become increasingly evident that these goals will not be achieved in many countries especially the mdg on peace and security this is why united nations associations from uganda rwanda kenya and tanzania have shifted the focus to issues of peace and security and have called on the international community to urgently and effectively apply serious measures in the implementation of peace and security solutions and strategies in different parts of the world. On the other hand, senior officials of the association expressed the concern that the international community and powerful countries do not walk the talk when it comes to matters of peace and security, yet they are not cautioned from the aftermath of conflict and war. Baguma Tinkasimri Richard chairs the UN Association in Uganda.
9: We must all recognize, doesn't matter whether you're young, you're old, you're rich, you're poor, you're tall, you're short, you're white, you're black, does not matter. We must all recognize that this world in which we live, this planet is one. A conflict that happens in the Middle East or in Arabia, an extremist group will go and hit the World Trade Center in New York, you're not safe. That when Ebola breaks out like it is doing now in a poor African country it will find you in the comfort of your hospital in Texas it will find you in your capital in Brazil the world the planet we live in is intertwined we must as a matter of survival recognize that that's my first appeal the second one is that however competent important well educated you are you cannot drive two cars at the same time with the current technology so having amassing, being greedy, thinking about yourself alone is not going to save you from the challenges that confront this world. We have seen climate change effects. They affect the most industrialized countries. A breakout of a volcanic uh, eruption the other day in, in, in Iceland stopped all the flights in the world. Whether private, whether you have a private jet, it doesn't matter. This world... We must confront the challenges together and therefore the greed of wanting to have everything to yourself is actually the most direct threat
6: using an example of what he refers to as a double standard by the nations and the powerful nations he said with just one year to go before mdgs expire in 2015 the uncertainty is evident on whether the world may achieve half of the target the world
9: committed itself particularly the rich countries, to spend only 07 of their GDP to official development assistance. Less than 1%. And that money would have been extremely useful in driving the MDG's agenda forward. There are not more than five countries, I think, in the world which reached that promise. Just 0.7%. So we must also say that we let ourselves down, particularly our leaders.
6: As a result, various parts of the world is ravaged by conflict and wars in the eyes of the United Nations. The chairperson of the association in Rwanda, Jack Kamanzi, said that Rwanda being stable and secure is not enough because the region is still considered a hotspot for instability in some countries.
12: The UN realized that ignoring peace and security and conflict prevention created a likelihood that MDGs are not likely to be achieved.
6: Some however, said countries have remained silent on ceasefire because of some gains. Lydia is from Tanzania.
11: To my view, I think some countries fear to bring peace in their countries because some governments get money in violence. When they fight, they get money. So some countries, if they say we need peace, they will not get any money. In my view, that's why they are preventing peace in their countries.
6: However, they will agree that despite the worrying situations, some countries have continued on the path of achieving the Millennium Development Goals. The outcome of this meeting is expected to be a critical contribution to the UN in setting the agenda for the next phase of MDGs. Silvanus Kalimera, Channel Africa News, Kigali the
0: african union is appealing to african countries to contribute more health workers to tackle ebola in west africa until now countries like sierra leone liberia and guinea are still the most affected with over 4,000 deaths already registered koleta wanjohi reports
12: the ebola virus disease continues to be a challenge to the west african states of sierra leone liberia and guinea So far, over 4,400 deaths have been recorded and over 9,000 suspected cases. Human resource remains a challenge to the countries which are being affected by the disease. So far, only 100 military volunteers with health background have been offered by African countries. They are being deployed in rotational groups of 20 to the affected countries. However, now the African Union is sending an appeal for more health volunteers. The chairperson of the African Union Commission, Dlamini Kosazana-Zuma, says the commission has written to African heads of state to request for more health volunteers, at least 500 more for now.
13: We are looking for volunteers uh, because this this is a collective fight. It's not a fight for those three countries. It's a collective fight because it's important to stop the disease in those countries, to stop our brothers and sisters dying in those countries. But if we don't help them, the disease will also come to everyone. So I think it's both to help in terms of solidarity with those three countries, but it's also to protect our own citizens, because each member state cannot say it is immune.
12: But if we are able to show solidarity, The African Union is also insisting that each country steps up screening at every entry point of their country. This in a bid to give confidence to airlines that are still sceptical about resuming their routes to the affected countries. Some airlines have been refused to land in non-affected countries after flying to the Ebola-affected countries. Chairperson of the African Union Commission, Blamini Nkosazana Zuma, says that there are also efforts to convince the adamant countries to allow the air transport to flow. We are also talking to countries, we
13: want to talk at least to maybe two or so countries to start with, to say once a sky flies to those countries and out of those countries, will they be willing to let it land in their countries? Because they tell us why they stopped is because they tried to land in some of those countries and they were told, no, you can't land. They went to the next country, no, you can't land. They, they, now that was a danger both to the, to the passengers and to the plane and to the airline, so that's why they stopped. So that's why now we're talking to countries and we're also looking at how to strengthen the, 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 the screening in the countries as, they, as, the, as the passengers exit.
12: The World Health Organization has declared Nigeria as Ebola-free. This is a positive step for Africa towards combating the Ebola virus disease. Koleto to enjoy for Channel Africa in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Headlines up next with Anne Musa.
1: Good morning. Mozambique's National Elections Commission stops vote counting in the Northwestern Province due to possible fraud. With more than sixty percent of votes counted so far, the U.S. confirms that a ceasefire deal appeared to have been reached between the between Nigeria and Boko Haram militants, but says talks to release more than two hundred kidnapped girls were ongoing. And South African Paralympian Oscar Pistorius will be sentenced today in the High Court in Pretoria for the death of Riva Steenkamp. Those are the stories making headlines.
2: South Africa.
5: Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorba. Africa, amuka na unai.
0: Thank you, Anne. It is 8.31 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now let's go back in time. In history today, in 2003, former South African human rights lawyer Vanessa Brereton claims to be the apartheid-era spy national director of public prosecutions. Bulelani Muga has been accused of being. Former SAFM anchor Jeremy Maggs takes us down memory lane.
3: South Africans are getting a glimpse into the murky world of South Africa's spy industry. Starting claims splashed across morning newspapers today revealed how a young Eastern Cape lawyer was recruited by the security branch of the former apartheid government. Vanessa Breton alleges that she was agent RS-452 spying on the activities of the white left in the Eastern Cape. Britain, who's living in London, says she's decided to come clean because following the establishment of the HIFA Commission, which was launched to probe spy allegations against Director of Public Prosecutions, Bulalani Nguka, uh, it was alleged that uh, Nguka was uh, Agent uh, RS-452. Let's pick up the story now with Taslima Fuljoun.
4: Britain claims she was recruited in 1985 and a year later became Agent RS-452. She was allegedly part of Operation Crocus, a security police project aimed at infiltrating and collecting information 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 of the white left. At the time, Brederton was working as a human rights lawyer representing several members of the anti-apartheid movement. Former friends and clients of Brederton expressed their disappointment at today's revelations. Janet Sherry, who knew Brederton very well, says the news didn't come as a huge
12: surprise. Over the last few weeks, it has become clear through the documentation that has been in the public arena in relation to Bulalani Nguka and the Heifer Commission, that Agent R.S. Fraukhoftu was somebody who was in Port Elizabeth, who was involved with the white activists here and who was also a lawyer involved with Nadal structures and so on. So we had worked out from that that it was likely that Vanessa was the person who was Agent RS-452. Uh, I do feel very disappointed in her and uh, very betrayed in that she was representing us and yet she was actually working for the other side.
0: And that 2003 report by Taslima Falun, courtesy of the SABC archives. It is 8.33 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now, the Synagogue Church of All Nations says the repatriation of bodies of South Africans who died in the Lagos Church tragedy is imminent. More than 80 South Africans died when the residence part of the church collapsed over a month ago. Since then, frustrated family members have been waiting to lay their loved ones to rest. Makhlati Gallons reports.
8: Living with the pain of death and searching for closure, exacerbated by the fact that their loved ones are in a foreign land and with no date when they will be repatriated, the agonizing wait for the families continue. The Manduba family in Soweto has already chosen a coffin for their 30-year-old daughter Prudence, her aunt Koliwa Kumalo.
12: Every promise they made that they are bringing them back, so we are just keeping on hoping that one day they'll be here, then we bury them, but the sooner they better. It's now six weeks and a couple of days. So we're hoping that maybe
8: in a few days. Amidst reports of tension and diplomatic wranglings between Africa's superpowers, an appeal to Pretoria and Abuja to expedite the process.
12: Yes, I will appeal to the government, South African government, and Nigeria to work hand in hand. What I like the most is that both uh, governments are blacks. They know about the, uh, the funeral expenses, how do we like our families, so they just, they just have to do the best for us and bring our dates, all of them, home.
8: The Synagogue Church of All Nations says it has been in talks with both Nigerian and South African officials and says the repatriation is imminent. Spokesperson Bali Chueni.
2: All I can say for now
5: is that, yes, uh, the repatriation is extremely imminent in the sense that the Nigerian government have received the message and have appreciated the agency of uh, the situation and the Saravi government, so there is a collaborative effort right now to make sure that you know, the closure to bring the families must happen as expeditiously as possible. And I cannot say leave the announcement of a date to the government, but I'll say it's imminent.
8: The severe delay has also been caused by two separate processes to identify the bodies. The South African process was completed, but Nigerian authorities have sent DNA samples to Cape Town to complete their verification. The South African officials are not willing to give a date, but hint the repatriation could be soon. Ambassador to Nigeria, Lulu Guni.
9: And uh, it would not be right for me to issue out a deadline, and if it doesn't happen... This will throw us in serious, serious problems. But I can say, within the near future, this matter should be, should be finalized and the families should be informed that our military and, of course, our political principles will be coming to Nigeria to, to, to face the bodies.
8: The Nigerian government has instituted an inquest into the building collapse. Mahaladze Johannesburg.
0: A Cameroonian national was killed and another injured in an explosion at a scrap metal yard in Pretoria yesterday. According to preliminary investigations, military ordnance, believed to be a cannon, exploded at the site in the western part of the capital. Kulufelo Madiba reports.
2: This incident does not only involve ordinary weapons, but a live ammunition which was used during Second World War in 1945. A Cameroon national 26-year-old Cheng Heason and a father of two was torn into pieces after he attempted to take off a metal from the shell projectile of which he allegedly bought from two unknown men. 浩天 police spokesperson Zegi Somofugen says investigations are underway.
9: A number of military devices have been recovered. We are investigating. According to the explosive experts. these weapons are the ones that are used for the Second World War. We are appealing to the community within the area to assist us. As to where these uh, devices are being kept,
2: Mufugen says they are hoping that their investigations will lead them to discover more of these massive and destructive weapons. He also says they are working in conjunction with members of the South African Defence Force. This
9: incident is for the first time that we have, and we are hoping to, you know, curb uh, such incidences. Yeah, there is a, according to the um, the bomb explosive expect there is that relationship that has been built to deal with these matters.
2: Member of the public among them eyewitnesses have described the explosion as one of a kind
14: okay we was busy cleaning so this is my neighbor we came out because it was a really weird sound so we was thinking maybe somebody is shooting nearby but then she told me no this sound is very loud maybe it's a bomb that went off so we went in the house after my neighbor came and told me no her husband phoned her and it's a bomb.
7: When I went in, I saw a scrap car was standing there. On the car was body parts of the person. Went further, I see the person uh, laying on the ground. The second person just went, was hurt inside, but he's off the other hospital
3: no, I'm scared because you know the school is right across us and we've got children and that's not a good feeling for it to happen here. They us close the this, uh, scrap yard.
2: The 24-year-old Injad Cameroon National has been transported to Steve Biko Hospital for medical treatment.
0: That report by Kulufelo Madiba in Pretoria. There has been a decrease in the number of Syrian refugees entering Lebanon. According to the UN refugee agency, UNHCR, Lebanon, which already hosts approximately 1.17 million displaced Syrians, has shouldered a heavy burden of the refugees, who now comprise one quarter of the population. UNHCR has called on the international community to increase investment in Lebanese infrastructure such as healthcare and schooling to help the country cope. To find out more about this, Mamadou Alfa Diallo spoke with UNHCR spokesperson Dana Sleiman on the line from the Lebanese
15: capital, Beirut. Over the past month, the government of Lebanon has announced that it will take a number of measures to limit the number of refugees coming into Lebanon and to decrease the number of refugees present in Lebanon because of the burden of over 1.17 million people registered from Syria in Lebanon with UNHCR. And indeed, the government has started implementing these measures, and we have witnessed at the border of Lebanon fewer number of people coming in which has indeed affected our registration figures the government has expressed its commitment to look at humanitarian exceptions so people who desperately need to seek asylum in Lebanon will be considered by the government, they said, and we are very much committed to working with the government on determining these criteria and ensuring that people who cannot do without accessing Lebanon because of the ongoing war in Syria will be able to cross into the country.
7: Following the constant increase in refugees to Lebanon since the start of twenty twelve, UNHCR figures show a decrease of around forty thousand refugees since the end of September. Is that still the the case.
15: That is correct. Over the past month, our figures decreased considerably by some 40,000 people. This is in part due to the government policies but also in part due to our regular efforts to revise and revisit and verify our data.
7: And Lebanon has the highest per capita concentration of refugees in the world. The government has said it cannot copy the more than a million Syrians. So what should be done for countries that are already overrun?
15: That is correct. We cannot think of a single country in the whole world that has taken in as many refugees in comparison to its size and the size of its population. One quarter of people in Lebanon are refugees. And this burden on Lebanon, on its infrastructure, be it on public schools, on hospitals, on primary health care centers, electricity, water, all these services have been affected. That is why humanitarian agencies such as UNHCR and others, are working with the government of Lebanon to build the capacity of public institutions and communities, Lebanese communities that have so generously received refugees over close to four years, actually. In parallel, it is an imperative that Lebanon receives more funding because currently, as it stands, our funding appeal of over $1.7 billion is only 38% funded. And we're getting close to the end of the year, and this simply means that we do not have the means to attend to all needs, and we do not have the means to plan ahead as we should be able to. And on the other hand, it's very important that other developed countries share this burden with Lebanon through resettlement programs that offer refugees, most of whom in Lebanon are women and children, we're talking about over 78% of them being women and children, over 50% being children, offer them with a better future because in Lebanon, most of them are not in school, most of them are missing out on years and years of education and today cannot read or write.
7: And as you said, in education, what everyday life is like for Syrian refugee in Lebanon and what is that you wish people had a better understanding of when it's come to Syrian refugee in Lebanon?
15: I can paint a picture of last year regarding education we had 400,000 children of school age of those we were able to register through our efforts with the Ministry of Education with UNICEF and other agencies 90,000 children in public schools But the reality is there is not enough capacity in these schools. And we do not have enough funding to open enough afternoon shift schools, which we have done, and they were successful. But we were only able, with this effort, in the afternoon, including in the morning shift, to accommodate 90,000 children in schools. This means that over 300,000 children were left without a proper education, were not protected, have had to resort to what we call negative coping mechanisms, including working. So child labor, we have seen this increase in Lebanon. And many children actually spend their days in a very idle manner, doing mostly nothing. That is why we have invested more and more last year in what we call non-formal education. So efforts outside the classical schoolroom, but that include efforts by teachers and volunteers to provide some teaching, some sort of classroom experience within the dwellings of Syrian refugees in informal settlements and in community development centres that are affiliated with the Ministry of Social Affairs and other sites in Lebanon.
0: And that was Mamadou Alfa Diallo talking to UNHCR spokesperson Dana Sleiman on the line from the Lebanese capital, Beirut. It is exactly 8.45 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Our economics update up next with Tabiso Lehuku.
3: An Israeli firm will supply Egypt with natural gas more than two years after sabotage halted the flow of Egyptian gas to Israel. For more than a decade, Israel rallied on Egypt for roughly 40% of its gas needs in line with an export accord signed in 2005 by two countries, which are bound by a peace treaty. But in April 2012, Egypt annulled the contract saying... Israel had not met the financial obligations of the agreement. This in a decision that came amid a spate of bomb attacks that targeted the pipeline used to transport natural gas to Israel and Jordan. Russia's Norelisk nickel, the world's top nickel and Palladium, or rather Palladium Produce, has agreed to sell stakes in two African nickel mines for $337 million to BCL, a Botswana-based copper mining firm looking to expand. Norilisk will transfer 50% interest in the Nkumati nickel and chrome mine to BCL South Africa, an 85% stake in a Tati nickel mining company in Botswana. South Africa's Metal Workers Union, NUMSA, has vowed to fight any attempt to oust it from trade union KOSATU, or rather federation. This amidst mounting calls from other affiliates for NUMSA to be expelled. The union's head of education, Denga Asikwebu, says NUMSA is a founding member of KOSATU and cannot afford to abandon it. Sikwebu was speaking ahead of KOSATU's Central Executive Committee meeting which is expected to deal with a report on ANC attempts to heal rifts that threaten to tear the federation apart. Sigwebu so explains.
6: Our view and what the
5: Special National Congress is that we think that the traditions of COSADU that we know of workers' control, independence, both from political parties
3: and the capitalist class, all those principles have been eroded. And what our Congress said we must do is to reclaim and ensure that we have a
5: fighting militant campaign in Kosaipu. For us, that's the first prize. And there is no way that we're going to leave what we built.
3: South Africa's Finance Minister, Tlaan faces a baptism of fire this week. He will table his maiden budget speech, as some of the country's state-owned enterprises can hardly keep their heads above water. Managements from the South African Airways Post Office and Power Utility Eskom hope the Minister will announce measures to give the institutions new leases of life. Tsepo Pakhane, or rather, Mwai reports.
6: There are high expectations as Nene prepares to deliver the first budget speech of President Jacob Zuma's second administration. As South Africa continues to perform below its economic potential, business and consumers have been the hardest hit. Now everyone is hoping that this week's budget speech will announce new measures to ease their current economic challenges.
3: Morocco's external borrowing needs next year will reach around $2.77 billion to plug a budget deficit estimated at 4.3% of GDP. Finance Minister Mohamed Bou said, says that the North African kingdom, which has been carrying out subsidy reforms to trim public spending, may go to the international bond market to raise some external financing for next year, this depending on market opportunities. Indicators at the sour. The US dollar trades at 11.05 South African rand. 903 Botswana pula 6.33 Zambian kwacha 062 to the British pound 0.79 to the euro gold 1247 dollars platinum 1267 dollars an ounce. brand crude 85 5 dollars 47 cents a barrel economic update
0: Thank you, Tabiso. A sports update up next with Figi
5: Now sports update this hour we're betting off with cricket news. The captain of uh, South Africa AB De Villa's uh, top scored with an unbeaten 89 as the Proteas completed a six-wicket win over New Zealand in the first of three one-day internationals at Bay Over in Mount Monganui today to take a one nil lead in the three-match series. Earlier Luke Ronchi was New Zealand's last man out for 99 after stalling a middle-order collapse and leading New Zealand to 230 in 45.1 overs. South Africa made 236 for 4 in reply. Ronchi reached his high score in 24 one-day appearances and shared a 74-run last-weekend partnership with Trent Bolt on 21 not out, which allowed New Zealand to reach a competitive total after it lost three wickets on 68. South Africa then calmly chased down New Zealand's total with 11 balls to spare and with De Villiers and JP Dumini, 58 not out, sharing a 139-run partnership. Hashim Amla steadied the South African innings early by betting 25 overs for 38 runs. Although Bolt cheaply removed Quentin de Dukok 9 and Favre du Plessis 8 and South Africa's asking rate briefly topped 6 per over, Villiers and Dumini expertly paced the reply. The match launched both teams' preparations for the World Cup in New Zealand and Australia in February and March of next year. And on to football news, Banyana Banyana striker Amanda Lamini says there is no pressure even though there is a lot of stake ahead of the clash with Nigeria on Wednesday afternoon at the same New Yorker Stadium in Namibia. The semi-final contest between the two African giants will reignite the bitterness of the 2012 edition where Banyana emerged victorious by beating the Lady Super Eagles 1-0 to reach the final. However, a win this time around will surely guarantee them a place in the World Cup in Canada next year.
14: No, not at all. It's, 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 I wouldn't say it's pressure. Um, I, w- I would just say it's uh, an, an opportunity for, for us to go through to the next round because three spots means that there's more people because before it used to be just two people, so now it's three spots. So it gives us uh, another opportunity for us to go through.
5: Lamini says qualifying for the World Cup will definitely be the pinnacle of a career.
14: Definitely right now, um, the biggest goal for me is qualifying uh, for the World Cup. And... Um, w- I have a great team. We're playing, you know, we play so much well together, and I enjoy being part of the Banyana team. And I know that as a team, we all share the same sentiments. So, for me, it has to be the World Cup right now.
5: Obviously, that will be more like an icing on the cake because you've been run ups a couple of times on the AWC, and also you have been to the Olympics. The only thing that's missing, it's the World Cup.
14: Yeah, well, I mean, um, every tournament is just as important as the World Cup because um, donning the national team shirt is just um, an honor on its own. So now uh, going to the World Cup and being able to represent South Africa will mean a great deal to me, but not only just me, but also the 21 players in the
13: squad.
5: On to rugby news. An investigation has found steroids in supplements given to players on Kenya's national rugby servants team. A report by an anti-doping task force set up by the government says Kenya 7's head coach Paul True of South Africa and five members of his coaching staff should be called to anti-doping disciplinary hearings over the discovery. The report also called for the head coach and assistant coach of the 15 aside national team to face disciplinary proceedings. The investigation initially focused on allegations of doping in Kenya's number one sport athletics but revealed more worrying findings within kenya's fast improving sevens rugby team the report which has been handed over to the kenyan government says there were strong suggestions that the coaches violated anti-doping regulations after they introduced supplements to the players and finally with tennis news south african doubles player raven klassen has moved up two places in the atp world tennis rankings to 20th position klassen and american partner eric butarek Won the men's doubles at the Stockholm Open, defeating Tit Howie of the Philippines and Jack Sock of the U.S. 6-4 and 6-3 over the weekend. Kevin Anderson retained his 17th place in the men's singles rankings after reaching a career high 16-2 weeks ago. Anderson reached the last 16 in Stockholm, losing to German-born Australian Ben tomic 6-7, 4-6. That's Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa,
9: tzorna. Africa, amuka na unai.
0: Recapping our top stories on Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa. Oscar Pistorius to be sentenced today. South African Deputy President concludes his visit to Lesotho and South Sudanese women unveil Agenda for Peace and Development. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine. For today, from myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Pumutu Ramagaza, technical producer Mario Edwards, and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.co.za or tweet us and follow us on Twitter at Rise Africa. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 9625kHz on the 31 meter band to southern Africa is Chico Twala with a song titled We Monsieur Manello.
9: The Voice of the African Renaissance